Hi, David. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are things in Toronto? Jimmy, we're doing great in Toronto. Beautiful day today and uh, some signs that spring is coming. Uh, finally. David, 2022 was a year of many milestones at Denison, all of which were resulted in de-risking at the Wheeler River Project. And the primary achievement was the ISR field testing at Phoenix, which involved injecting the mining solution into the formation and extracting a uranium-bearing solution. And most investors will have no idea of the details which are required to perform such a test. Maybe you can just take us through a brief description of what that entails and also what the results were. Well, Jimmy, my pleasure. Look, I mean, the headline here is that the results were excellent. Uh, this was a huge test for our company and the future of our company. Uh, but, but to dive into it, um, really, we have to go back in time uh, quite, a, quite a ways because this test, we call it the uh, feasibility field test. And it's essentially a small pilot operation uh, supporting our feasibility study. And of course, the test was in the field. So, so you guys get the name now. But um, really, this test, to be prepared for this test, it took years of systematic de-risking in the lab and in the field to collect information both on metallurgy as well as on flow rates and, and uh, our ability to pump and inject solution into the ore body. And all of that information, is as simple as I'm making it sound now, um, was accumulated through the end of 2021. And at that point, we were in a position to design this feasibility field test and actually take it through the permitting and regulatory process. And so that was really the beginning of 2022 on the FFT, was actually getting this test permitted. Now, what this test involved was us taking a part of a commercial scale test pattern that we installed in 2021 and using it to inject a live mining solution. So an, uh, an acidic mining solution, similar to what we'll use in, in production, to actually go in there and uh, dissolve uranium in the, in the deposit right at the heart of our Phoenix deposit and recover our uranium bearing solution. Now, of course, when you hear that uh, and we talk about this being a feasibility field test and, and similar to a small pilot, you, you have to first work at getting permission to do this. This isn't the kind of test that we could just do uh, as if it was an exploration program. And so we did go and uh, work with both our federal and our provincial regulators. So the Ministry of the Environment in Saskatchewan and the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission uh, federally. And this was a first for, for both regulators. Uh, nobody has, has done this kind of test in the Athabasca Basin for uranium mining. And so the, the real first milestone in all of the work that we put in for 2022 was getting permission from our regulators to do the test. And we were really successful in doing that. Uh, not only did we get uh, approvals from both regulators, but we got them roughly on time with our project plans so that we were able to then carry out the rest of the process, which of course for this facility meant we had to go procure materials uh, to actually set up the surface facilities necessary for this. And then we had to actually carry out the construction and the commissioning of these facilities. All of that in an environment where the supply chain was still actually quite under stress uh, through the tail end of, of the pandemic. And uh, all of it went very well with us commissioning the facility for the leaching phase of the test in the late summer and us uh, commencing and completing both the leaching phase and the neutralization phase in the third and the fourth quarter of, of 
2022. As I said at the start, not to bury the, the headline, the results were excellent. Uh, we were able to uh, prove up or either at, at expected levels or exceeding levels for all of our key operating parameters that we were looking to demonstrate with this test. So the, the, those are things like flow rates, uh, the time that it would take to acidify parts of the well field before we would start to get to a, a, a rate of um, acidification where we could effectively recover uranium and ultimately um, uranium recovery. You know, the, the, the back end of this test and the headline was that we recovered over 14,000 pounds U308 uh, in solution from the operation of this uh, small part of the test pattern of only, uh, for only 10 days after we achieved uh, our target acidification. So that was really a, a, a historic accomplishment. I mean, the first pounds that have been recovered from ISR mining in the history of the Athabasca Basin, uh, done by Denison, and uh, highly successful when it comes to uh, being able to actually uh, prove up our parameters. And, and that, that was really leaching. Uh, the next phase, a little less glamorous, but equally important from a regulatory standpoint, was neutralization. And that process also went very well. Uh, we were able to carry out our neutralization phase in accordance with our plans and return uh, the ore body into an environmentally acceptable level from a pH standpoint in a relatively quick period of time. And those two phases were, were critical to collecting information that'll feed into our feasibility study. At that point, uh, we did stop field activities and um, we've paused for winter with uh, you know, a, a volume of stored solution on surface and it's cold up in the Athabasca Basin, so, so most of that is frozen. And we'll resume the final phase of the test, which is our recovered solution management phase. And this is really a compliance phase. We're gonna resume that in the spring. So no, no critical information coming out of this phase, but a phase necessary under our permits to basically uh, proceed to reduce the amount of solution we're storing on site and start the uh, process of reclaiming the facility after the test. But all in all, uh, really an excellent, excellent outcome for us in the field, uh, proving up all the metallurgical work we've done in the lab with all of the pump and injection testing to tangibly demonstrate that ISR mining works at Phoenix and can work in the Athabasca Basin. Like I said, I knew there was a lot of detail involved and I'm glad you gave such a detailed explanation. Thanks for that. And David, now that you've proven to shareholders, stakeholders, and also regulators that ISR works in the basin, will you focus on using this technique on other projects? Well, Jimmy, yeah, we, um, we do think that the application of ISR mining is in the Athabasca Basin goes far beyond Phoenix. And uh, we are focused on looking at deposits that we already control or have an interest in to bring ISR mining there. And uh, we started in, in 2020 with uh, what I'll call sort of a proof of concept uh, PEA study on the Waterbury Lake property to assess whether uh, a smaller sized Athabasca deposit could be economical uh, if extracted using ISR mining. And, and the results of that PEA were very positive. And so, you know, that is a project that uh, quite reasonably we'll be looking to revisit now that we've done some more de-risking at Phoenix. But also, uh, and something we're pretty excited about, is the potential to use ISR at a project that we have uh, joint ownership with uh, Arano, 
Um, this is the Midwest joint venture. So we're the minority partner there. We have a 25% interest. But during 2022, uh, we worked uh, with and for the joint venture to actually carry out some internal scoping studies assessing the application or potential application of ISR at Midwest. So that's something that um, we're, we're pretty excited about. Certainly have more work to do with our partner there before we can comment more on that. But it gives you a good sense that we are really turning to the other deposits in the region because the success we've had at Phoenix is, is really giving us confidence that this mining method uh, can work in, in the, in, for certain deposits in the right geologic setting. And David, another milestone was the metallurgy and recovery rates. What were the recovery rates and how is this significant? Yeah, Jimmy, so we've talked about the feasibility field test. Uh, that was a big accomplishment for the year, uh, but almost equally important is some of the long-term uh, leach, core leach testing that we were doing um, for uh, with ore samples that we recovered from Phoenix. And these are in-situ recovery specific leach tests. And uh, we put out news in December uh, talking about a test that we had run for over a year. So an intact piece of core recovered from the ore body that we ran in a specialized piece of equipment that only uh, allows the leaching to occur by moving through the natural permeability of that core. So no crushing, grinding, no agitation. This is as it would leach in the ground. We, we ran this core sample for over a year and we, we achieved over 97% recovery. And almost equally important here is that we had an average uranium bearing solution head grade from that year long test of over 18 grams a liter uranium, which was very important because it supports our, our feasibility study where we're using an assumed 15 grams a liter uranium head grade, which was a 50% increase from our pre-feasibility study. So that test, really helped to demonstrate that when we make contact with the uh, ore body, with our leach solution, we can achieve some very high rates of recovery. Now, it's not to say that we'll run a 97% rate of recovery in our feasibility study, but it definitely gives us great confidence that we can achieve the industry standard recovery rates necessary for the project to be economic. Now that all uh, layered on to other testing we've done in the year of metallurgy around the plant. And I just want to tack that on, if you if if you will. But um, you know, a lot of our work has also been on designing our processing plant, and so we've taken uh, gone through a whole bunch of bench scale tests on our processing plant. And important, another important metallurgical milestone in the year was that we were able to prove up our process to produce an in-spec industry standard yellow cake from uranium bearing solutions recovered from our cores at Phoenix, and we did that. Uh, using a simplified direct precipitation method, um, which is important because that's how we modeled it in our PFS, but also we did it without needing to use calcination, which is an important detail from a cost standpoint. Uh, we are not and have not been designing our plant to include a calciner, and we were able to achieve that inspect product without having to go to calcination. We've spent a lot of time about what's happening at Phoenix and the success that you've had there. Give us an update on what's happening at Griffin. Well, look, Griffin is, uh, you know, part of the story. It's an important part of the story at Wheeler River. Um, we've, we are also updating uh, the technical report for Wheeler River for Griffin. And so, uh, you know, when we look into 2023, the feasibility study for Phoenix, 
as, as well as an update to the pre-feasibility study for Griffin. Those are both important uh, milestones in 2023. And with Griffin, uh, look, it has not been our focus. Uh, we are we are focused on on Phoenix, and we've got a um, we've had a, a project plan from the PFS that showed a staged development plan, with Griffin coming uh, as a as a staggered development um, decision to Phoenix. But um, we're actually quite uh, excited about the whole update to the to the to the technical report, including on Griffin, because now we get to recast things with current costs. You know, we've seen uh, inflation uh, affect a number of mining projects. And we know that our technical report was uh, last issued in 2018. And so Griffin will be an important part uh, of the narrative for us to update those costs, but still remains an important part of our project, of our company, when it comes to the long-term viability of our company and the ability for Phoenix to generate cash flows that we can redeploy into a growth asset Griffin and produce pounds uh, for, you know, longer than that Phoenix mine life and into a uranium market that really needs the pounds beyond 2030, which is where you'd see Griffin uh, slot in in terms of a development timeline. David, another element central to de-risking is moving forward the permitting process. You submitted the draft EIS for the Wheeler River project in Q4 of 2022. Let's discuss the timeline associated with this. Yeah, Jimmy, well, since uh, submission of the draft EIS, um, you know, our work has been focused on preparing for the public comment period. So that's the first uh, sort of phase that followed uh, the conformity review, which we passed, uh, meant that we had submitted all the necessary elements to be considered by our federal regulators in the province. And so we uh, were waiting for responses from the public comment period, and that'll really start the process of back and forth on uh, review and comment and changes or updates to the draft EIS as we work towards getting a final EIS, EIS that's ready for regulatory approval. Now that process uh, we expect uh, will take time. Um, and so we are handicapping that this is a two to three year type process if we go back to the submission of the draft EIS before we're in place to have an approved uh, final EIS that's gone through the CNSC. David, another asset in your portfolio, which I would like to discuss is the Waterbury Lake project, which is not as advanced as Wheeler River, but it also has ISR potential. Can you just take us through this project and the progression that you and your team have been making there? Yeah, Waterbury is a really interesting case. Um, this is a project we, we own about two thirds and uh, our co-owner is the Korean uh, nuclear power company, KHNP, this is part of KEPCO and they operate all of the uh, nuclear power plants in Korea. Uh, you know, we, we looked at this project in, in 2020 uh, at a PEA level for ISR mining. And in some ways, I found it to be um, more impactful than what we had done with Phoenix in that the project itself is, is smaller than and, and lower grade than Phoenix. And so you're talking in the range of 10 to 12 million pounds at 2% for the uh, THT deposit at Waterbury Lake. Now it's sandstone hosted, and so that's the part that makes it amenable to ISR mining. And we really wanted to test, can the breakthrough on ISR mining turn a deposit like this into something that's economically viable? And the results from that PEA suggested that the mining method can do that. And then now we've got a project that doesn't look that different from some of the US ISR projects in terms of scale. So again, we're, we're forecasting more like 10 million pounds of production over six years. 
That's similar to what you'd see out of some of the larger US ISR assets. Uh, cost profile coming out under $30 US per pound, which makes it very competitive globally. Uh, of course, we wish we had more pounds there, but it's the kind of project that really does compare well against the smaller scale assets in the US. Uh, CapEx in the range of $100, $120 million Canadian. All of these things sound very familiar to those US ISR assets, but they're in the Athab but it's in the Athabasca Basin. So we're, we're excited about where that could go, given the de-risking we've achieved at Phoenix. Certainly makes sense that we would go back and revisit uh, the, the project plan for, for THT as an ISR project uh, for the next several years. And uh, it's something that we're excited to, to turn to. So you mentioned that you would like to have more pounds at Waterbury, and that's a good segue into my next question, which is exploration. Do you have any plans to do any further exploration at Waterbury? Well, Jimmy, exploration, uh, not, maybe not so much at Waterbury in, in 2023, but exploration is still a key part of our DNA. And um, I would say that we're actually a bit of a sleeper story on, on exploration. I mean, rightly, we focus on, on Phoenix, the ISRD risking, uh, the Griffin Deposit, Wheeler River, and, and Waterbury, and McLean Lake, and all of those core assets that we've got. But um, we actually spend a, a pretty liberal amount on exploration in 2022, and, and our plans for 2023 will probably look similar. And so we are focused on primarily searching for ISR amenable deposits. And now that's not uh, quite swung back to um, in favor in the region. Most people are still uh, looking for basement hosted deposits, but uh, we have great confidence with what we've done with ISR that our exploration focus has been has swung to ISR amenable deposits for the last several years. And so our budgets, when you sort of stack it up against the, the juniors in the space, we probably have one of the largest exploration budgets in the region. We just don't talk about it that much. We don't put out every drill result. Uh, we've got mineralization that we're drilling that we don't we don't often put out a news release because for us, the threshold of that is, is bigger. We need to have something that we believe we can turn into an ISR deposit before we get too excited about it. But yes, we, we do have uh, a continued focus on finding additional ISR amenable deposits uh, in the region, absolutely. It will be interesting to see if other operators also try out ISR mining techniques given the success that you've had. Well, yeah, look, Jimmy, I think I think in, in the fullness of time, um, we will absolutely see that. And we, we already have that trend a little bit opening up with our Midwest project with Arano, where we're doing that concept study um, together with the joint venture to assess it. But, but in fairness, I mean, um, the confidence level on the ISR mining is not universal across the basin. Um, we've spent uh, thousands of, of hours and um, millions and millions of dollars over the last several years carrying out this de-risking. And really only our team has the knowledge that's come out of that. And only our team has the confidence that's come out of that because we've seen the results tangibly from our test work. And so I think it's, it's actually a bit of a competitive advantage right now that our confidence and our knowledge around what it takes to be able to actually develop an ISR amenable deposit in the region puts us in a position where we really are leading the world for ISR in the Athabasca Basin. And our ability to assess projects is far advanced over anyone else in, in, in the industry. And so 
I'm I'm optimistic in the fullness of time everyone gets there, but I'm also um, really encouraged that there's there is some hesitancy still, and it's creating a big business opportunity for us. David, let's move on now and discuss your balance sheet. Maybe you can tell us how much cash you have and how you will allocate that cash in the coming year. Yeah, Jimmy, look, we're um, we're really well capitalized. Um, we've we've got working capital investments over two hundred twenty-four million dollars Canadian at the end of the third quarter. Now, of course, we're 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 approaching our year-end reporting, so everyone will get a fresh view of our balance sheet uh, when our year-end financials and MD&A come out. Uh, healthy cash position, and of course, a, a large holding of physical uranium, two and a half million pounds of physical uranium on the balance sheet. So we do have a, an ATM that uh, is up on our base shelf prospectus that we use uh, selectively, but really have all the tools we need in the toolkit to stay well capitalized and avoid any sort of uh, significant, um, you know, major dilution event in the near term. David, Cameco came out with a massive quarter, adding an additional 80 million pounds in long-term contracts, which in included a contract with Ukraine. And I'm curious to hear your views on this and where you think the term market is going. Yeah, Jimmy, those those results, and particularly the announcement around long-term contracting from Cameco is incredibly bullish for our for our sector. Um, Look, I'm 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 really optimistic around the way Cameco is managing the market. They they continue to apply a level of um, production restraint, while at the same time shoring up their long-term business through contracting. And I, th I think it's quite reasonable that we've seen a bit of a plateau in in pricing because Cameco is making and others are making a fair amount of supply available at these levels. But I think what's so bullish about it, and, and maybe it is really driven by that Ukraine announcement is to think, you know, here's one contract with one customer that has a total of as much as 67 million pounds U308. Well, let's put that into context. That's that's more than we're projecting for, for production from the entire Phoenix deposit. Now, we've been working for years to advance that, and it's a core to our business, but in one contract with one utility, that many pounds has been spoken for with Cameco. Now, there's a lot more of that to come, and it really does drive home that once Cameco has shored up that baseline in their contract portfolio, they have the ability now to be more selective. And I think that's the window I see, uh, I'm looking through in terms of what will happen with price going forward. Is as Cameco be, is, is more selective with their contracting, we have the potential to see the term price, spot price, re-rate upwards. And then it really drives, well, where are the other projects coming from? And what are their cost profiles? Because if you need all of Phoenix and you still don't meet that one contract demand from Ukraine, well, what about the next project? And what's their cost profile look like? And what, what is the real incentive price? Now we're getting into some really meaty supply demand discussions that'll be driven by the cost profile of the projects rather than where we've been over the last several years, which was price discovery driven on inventories. So I think it's, it, it, you know, there's really a lot of good reason to be excited about what we're hearing from Cameco and around the uranium market. David, as we wrap up, we started this conversation by what you accomplished in 2022. Can you summarize for investors what they can expect in 2023? 
Jimmy, the the key in 23, uh, if we want to say that, is the uh, is the feasibility study for Wheeler River for Phoenix and the update to the PFS for Griffin. So uh, that is that is critical for us. Our team is hustling, working on that right now. Uh, we are still on track for completion through the first half of 2023. Uh, look, this this study gives us a, a current view of the project in the current market. We're talking the uranium market, we're talking the supply chain, all of that so we can reflect uh, the current cost of this project and make informed decisions about moving forward. From there, it's uh, you know accelerating with detailed design and engineering and that permitting process moving in parallel so that when we are through that EIS and permitting process, we are positioned to make a development decision and get those pounds on their way to coming out of the ground. So it all starts with the feasibility study in 23. And uh, you, you'll see that our team is really focused on that. I think you pepper in uh, some other positive news and developments around exploration and other projects that we might be looking to advance with ISR and all together makes just for another really exciting year for our company. Well, David, that was a great update on Denison Mines, and we look forward to the pending feasibility study on Wheeler River. Once again, thank you. Thanks very much, Jimmy.